Thank you, Brother Garrett. Thank you, church, for that singing. We appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you're here today, it's not by accident. You had to work for it to come to church. Uh, oh, my goodness. It's almost, you know, how do you get to Wilshire? You can't get there from here. You know, it. we're going to maintain. We're going to be here, and we appreciate everybody finding their path through that maze. Uh, it's good to be together. I really did appreciate the singing this morning. Thank you, Chip, for leading us. I, it's just good to sing together. I think God knew there's just some joy, and even if your voice isn't that great, it, it sounds better when you're singing with other people somehow, and, and, uh, and singing these kinds of words of praise to God, that's just good stuff. That's just good stuff. So, uh, thanks for doing that this morning. You you cheered me up. Uh, there are two big commands from God about what it means to be a human being. Like, you know, if you wanted to boil everything, I mean, there are a lot of commands, of course, but if you wanted to boil everything down, we know that there are two biggies. You already know what I'm going to say, because you've heard these Many times already. Jesus said, love God with all you are. All your heart, all your strength, all your mind, all your soul, just everything you've got. Love, put that into loving God. And he said, and the second command is just about like it. You love your neighbor. You love other people like you love yourself. That if you'll do that, that's what the law and the prophet, that's what that whole story of the Old Testament was trying to, to shape in, in God's people. Love God and love your neighbors. So whatever it is that we're doing, as the followers of Christ, we know it's oriented around Christ being formed in us around those two commands, loving God and loving our neighbors. Now, I've talked about this before. As modern people, we have problem with the word love. In English, love is just, it means too many things. And a lot of what it means is pretty, you know, Tame and, and even sometimes pretty frivolous. Uh, a few months ago, I did a series on people in the Bible who were hard to love. And there are some people in the Bible who, let's face it, they were hard to love. And while I was doing that series, I kind of was making a promise in my head to myself that someday I'm going to do the the companion series, which is Love Hard, about people and situations that require us to love hard. People who did the hard work of love. Because I'm going to tell you something. When the Bible says love God, when the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, it's not talking about Valentines and sugar and spice and everything nice. Not that kind of love. I mean, probably it includes that, but loving the way the Bible talks about it 
is going to take all your heart and all your strength and the best brains you've got. And really, when the Bible uses the word soul, it means all of you. That's what it takes to love, to love God and to love the people around you. Loving is going to be hard. It's the best thing. It's, it, it fulfills what it means to be a human being. It's the greatest joy there is for you and for me. But it's hard. So I realize that the sermon I'm about to preach about Mary, the mother of Jesus, I probably should have saved till next week because that's Mother's Day, right? And we usually preach about Mary on Mother's Day. But I'm not going to do it. This is, this is a preview of Mother's Day right here. I'm going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the main reason for that is back when I was promising myself I would do this series, the Love Hard series, she's the first person I thought of. And, because, and it's because of this verse that we read this morning in Luke chapter 2, when Simeon, this old man who, who God has sort of kept alive to get a chance to actually see God's Messiah. And finally, when Jesus is presented, that 40th day when the children were brought, the firstborn were brought to the temple and presented, Simeon has that prophecy that he gives, and then in verse 34 he says, Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, Jesus' mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. I remember way back when I was just a young child wondering what that meant. He's, he's in this grand zone of the, the whole nation and the whole fate of the people of God and, and then he turns to Mary and specifically says, and there's pain for you because of the life of this, your child. This is about the hard work of loving. Now, there are several episodes that we can look at. I don't have time to look at everything in the life of Mary that would illustrate the way that she loved Jesus and the way that sometimes a sword pierced her heart. I'll just bring out a few. If you have your Bibles, stay there in Luke chapter 2. Just look up at the start of the chapter. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee in Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged, he belonged to the house and line of David. I just want to stop right there. That's all from the point of view of Caesar in Rome and Joseph, the head of the family. What it doesn't tell us is the point of view of Mary, 
who is nine months pregnant, sitting on a donkey for a three days journey, which is about what it would take to get, I don't know, maybe with a pregnant lady it took six days, but a, a jogging donkey all the way from the northern part of the territory of the Jews in Galilee, all the way down the mountains to the Jordan River, all the way down the Jordan River Valley, part of the Great Rift Valley, and all the way up the windy road, the Jericho Road, up to the, the hill country where Jerusalem and Bethlehem were, and along to Bethlehem. This, this eight and a half, half nine-month pregnant lady because Caesar in Rome said so, because her husband says we got to go. That's hard. I mean, I'm not a woman. I know all pregnancies are hard. I get it. Well, I don't get it, but I, I sympathize. This was hard. What happens when she gets to Bethlehem? At least a nice hot bath a foot massage. Nope, what takes place? He went there, verse 5 says, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So because of this, you know, enforced migration that Caesar in Rome had mandated, a bunch of people have had to be displaced, a bunch of people have had to take rooms, there's no room by the time Joseph gets there with his big pregnant wife, and so Jesus is literally born in a barn, and she gives birth in that situation. A little bit later, that night, or maybe the next day, I always imagine it's right after Jesus falls asleep, you know how it is, you try to get your baby asleep, and then shepherds show up and say, I heard there's a great new baby here, angels told us. The baby wakes up. Giving birth to Jesus was hard. That's the first of the love hard, hard love stories I want to tell. Raising the Son of God had to be hard as well. Now, we don't have many stories of what Jesus was like as a child. I assume he was like any other child. Kind of noisy, kind of runny, most childs are. Runny leg runny, runny liquid runny. Children are like that. But we have this one story that symbolizes a lot of different things altogether when Jesus is 12 years old. Every year, down in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom, and after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, 
listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he was saying to them. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things up in her heart. We don't, the Bible doesn't really clarify for us exactly how and when Jesus came to fully understand who he was, but from very early on, he was special and he loved God. And, and he put God first in a way that marked him out in Mary's mind. And that's not easy to do when you're a parent and you're raising a child. That's tough for her. It gets a little tougher as time goes on. I don't know what that was like for Mary. I know there is one painful episode that occurs once Jesus is engaged in his ministry. If you have your Bibles, I've had you in Luke this whole time. Turn over to Mark chapter 3. This story is actually told in Luke 2, and it's also told in Matthew, but I want you to look at the way Mark describes it. Mark chapter 3. This is an episode that takes place not far from Nazareth in the town of Capernaum. Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And his family heard about this, so they went to take charge of him, for they said, he has a demon, or he is out of his mind. And Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, down in verse 31 it says, Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother... And your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, that's a tough episode for a lot of different reasons. First, this is a moment when I think Mary gets it wrong about Jesus. We don't know how long this lasted, but at this moment, she's so concerned about Jesus' well-being that she's kind of lost faith in his mission, it looks like. She just wants to get him and take him where it's safe. If you read the rest of the chapter, you realize this is in the context of people saying terrible things, the people who run village life in Capernaum and in Nazareth and everywhere else, the Pharisees, have already started saying Jesus is some kind of a black wizard. He's, he's got some kind of, you know, pact with the devil. He's doing all these miracles and signs and casting out these demons because he's, he sold his soul somehow and made some kind of a deal with Beelzebub. And they're spreading that rumor around about Jesus. 
And Jesus is saying things and doing things that are abnormal and look strange. And Mary and the brothers, they're on the outside. They're not really among the followers of Jesus, not in the inner circle right at this point. And so it does look kind of crazy. And they've just come to say, we're going to take him. We're going to help him calm down. We're going to help, you know, give time for these rumors to die away. And she hears him say these words. You know who my mother is? My brothers and my sisters? It's you guys. It's you guys. That's what Jesus says. I don't know when exactly the Bible means that a sword will pierce your heart, Mary. This has got to be one of those times. Because at this moment, she's realizing that Jesus put God ahead of his family. Moms, dads, grandparents. You bring your kids to church. You read them the Bible. You pray with them. You teach them these truths. Love God with everything you are. And if they learn what you are teaching, what that means is there comes a moment when they love God more than they love you. And in fact, The only way for them to have healthy love of you is for that to happen. If you have a child that ends up loving you or anything else more than they love God, that love will become sick, pathological, cancerous. That's just the way human beings are built. And so what you're hoping for is that moment When your child starts putting God ahead of you and God's will ahead of you. But that doesn't mean that's easy. That's hard love. That's tough. But that's what you're working towards if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're grandparents, if you're extended family. That children develop that relationship with God. Mary saw that happen with her son Jesus. Saw him submit himself fully to the will of God. Where he was careless of his own safety, his own reputation, his own status, his own health. And careless of her feelings in pursuit of what God wanted of him. That was hard. That's probably not the hardest moment. For the hardest moment, turn over to John chapter 19. You knew this was coming. Even if you didn't have the study sheet, you knew this was coming. 
John 19, look down in verse 25. When Jesus was crucified, most of the disciples were too scared to get close to the cross. They were afraid they were going to get arrested and crucified too, it looks like. Um, the women that were close to Jesus, including Jesus' mother Mary, were able to get close because they're not going to be swept up as potential soldiers against the empire. The Romans aren't going to view them as threats in the same way. And many scholars have said it looks like the beloved disciple, John, we think, the beloved disciple, was so young that he would not have been viewed as a military threat. And so he's able to be there at the foot of the cross as well. But that means that Mary and John and the others are, are there watching the whole drama play out. Crucifixion of Jesus starts about nine in the morning. And it goes on and on and on. Sky gets dark around noon, but it continues. It's not until about three o'clock that Jesus dies. And for six hours, it looks like, Mary watches her firstborn son die on that cross. Near the cross of Jesus, down in John 19, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Watching her son die was hard. That's when the sword pierced her soul, if no other time. It looks like all the Gospels record that Mary was among those who gathered up the spices to help bury Jesus. Some of the Gospels record that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there to see stone rolled away. One of the Gospels records that she was among the group of women who carried back the news. He's gone. He's not in the tomb. And the book of Acts records that Mary was there praying with the disciples in the temple, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall on this new Jesus community that was being brought into being in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2. She loved her son. She had to let him go to receive back her Savior. Love is hard. Love was hard for Mary, and love's going to be hard for you if you do it right.
That's just the way it's going to be. But I'm going to tell you something, church, and believe me when I say, when I tell you this, I am telling Jim Baird. Doing the hard work of love is the best thing that you will do with your life. In the name of God, when you do the hard work of love, when you do the hard work of love that allows you to release people to do God's will, when you do the hard work of love that allows you to let other people grow, when you do the hard work of love that allows you to be hurt and not take revenge, when you do the hard work of love that allows you to take the weakness of others and respond with strength to help them get better, when you do that hard work, you are loving God by loving those people. And you are becoming like your Father in heaven. You are bearing his image. And you are pushing his will out into his world. It's the best thing that you will do. It's the best thing that you will do. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for Mary, the woman you chose to bring Jesus physically into this world. Thank you so much for her willingness to give birth to him. Thank you for her raising him. Thank you for her loving him. And thank you for her coming to faith in him as her savior. God, help each one of us to love our children and those children that we have some responsibility for. Help us to love those that are around us. God, as we go through this series, give us the strength to love. Give us the strength and the courage to do the hard work of love. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you need to respond to God's love to you, if you need to give him back some of the love he's already shown, if you need prayers or help or, or something like that that publicly needs to be expressed, you can come forward, tell us what we can do for you. If today is a day that you want to receive baptism, you can come forward and tell us that that's what you want to do. If there's anything we can do for you, why don't you come, tell us what we can do for you as we stand and are led in song.